Well, hello there, folks, and welcome back to the Interesting People I Know podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Williams Freitas. It is August, and I think that makes it five months since we last spoke, or at least since I last spoke to you in this way. I have missed this. I felt like I needed to take a break. Um, I'm sure you all identify with feeling a bit overwhelmed with daily life layered in with um, what have you, kids, spouse, work, pets, quarantine, COVID, various and sundry other things in our world right now that make it feel very chaotic. I hope you are hanging in there, staying safe, healthy, as sane as we can be. Sanity is overrated, you know, so don't be like normative when it comes to your, you know, your sanity, maybe um, be a little crazy in the best ways, but certainly this pandemic has created a lot of issues for a lot of people. So um, I'm not going to go too much into pandemic issues. I mean, I might, I might be lying to you and I might go there in a few minutes, but for now, I just wanted to say I've missed this. Thank you for humoring me and being part of the podcast and listening to this. Um, And I hope it brings you whether some humor, some levity, um, some things to think about other than quarantine and um, some joy and some laughs. So welcome back. I'm excited to be here. It's just me today. uh, And I have a lot that I wanted to cover. So I'm just going to jump right in. Um, One thing that has added a new dimension to my life since we last spoke is having my youngest child graduate from high school, and um, she starts online college next week because her school is not going to be um, in session in person, so she's elected not to go there to Northern California and instead stay in Orange County and do online school and work Um, and see friends and all that good stuff. So one thing that did happen right when she graduated in June uh, was that um, we moved her out into her own apartment. So I became an empty nester much sooner than expected. I wasn't expecting to be an empty nester till now. So it was a couple of months early. And that was because um, I'm very cautious when it comes to the COVID thing, um, because I think there's so much we don't know. Um, And my husband has high blood pressure it's considered high risk. And so we're just playing it safe. And Jeannie had been so good, my youngest, um, in quarantine, um, living with us in kind of a bubble. And, um, you know, around graduation, that just got to be too much. And I totally honored that she wanted to celebrate um, and be with friends and have some of a normal life. Um, while, of course, being safe, as safe as you can when you're 18, turning 19, you know, wears masks in appropriate settings, but still just couldn't be as, as, um, careful as I needed her to be to live under my roof. So she was super excited about the move out and she's been adulting quite successfully for the past two months, um, which is super exciting. She's living locally in a a cute studio apartment and just doing her thing. And we see each other social distanced and stay in touch all the time on the phone. And um, Liam, my eldest had already moved out um, a little more towards the beginning of quarantine to his place locally. And he'll be online for school too. So it's great for both of them. I'm super excited to see them spreading their wings. But um, as I looked at Facebook today and yesterday, I'm noticing a lot of people um, with kids that were in Jeannie's class 
are dropping kids off at real school, um, like real life in-person school in different places in the South, Texas, and back East. And um, it looks super exciting. But I also know, you know, it's so bittersweet as a parent to have your kids leave the nest. And um, I just, you know, you can't really anticipate what it's going to be like to have them leave, just like you can't anticipate what it's going to be like to be a parent before you have a child come into your life. So it is something that I'm navigating. Um, The first few weeks of it, there were a lot of tears um, on my part. Jeannie seemed fine. Liam had already extricated and had been away at college before, so it was fine. Um, But I really was feeling, I don't know, lonely is not the right word because I've got my husband here and four crazy pets. And um, I see friends, you know, from time to time, social distanced or on Zoom. I'm working full time. So, you know, it wasn't really lonely, but it was just like a piece of me had gone away. And there is still just as much parenting happening from a distance as there was under my roof, which is interesting to learn. Probably wouldn't surprise anyone, but it surprised me. Um, And I'm glad because I love being a parent. I think it's my first and foremost calling. I don't know if it's my first and foremost talent, but I think I am really good at it. And it's not because I do it the right way or the way in books. I just do it my way. And it seemed to have worked well so far and I just love my kids and have great relationships with both super close and um but it is has been hard because I the structure that having kids in your house adds to the day especially when they're in like you know any school up to up through high school you know there's a structure and you're making a lunch or you know making sure the refrigerator is stocked for the kids or their friends are coming over or checking on their homework or various and sundry other things before they drive driving them everywhere mapping out all their activities, um, all the school volunteering that, that parents can do. Um, so it just felt like a big part of my life was over. Um, and it's just a chapter that's turned a page, not like my parenting life is over certainly. And I'm so thankful that I get to parent these kids all the way till I'm hopefully over a hundred and they're, they're real sick of me. Um, but it is a, it's the closing of a chapter and, um, there was grieving and there still is grieving. I mean, I'm, feel emotional just talking about it. I have a big head cut out that I got made of Jeannie for her, her um, graduation car parade. And if you follow me on social media, you probably saw me talking to it the first week or so um, of her being gone. Um, and part of it was just a humorous um, kind of a send up, something fun to do on social. And then part of it was really real. <laughs> like, And I still uh, find myself talking to the big head sometimes when she's not available to talk to on the phone. And um, yeah, I miss my kids a lot, um, a lot, a lot. And that part of my life um, has, that has passed as far as the day-to-day school stuff and um, living under the same roof and the tuck-ins, of course, had stopped a long time ago. But even saying goodnight to your teenage kid, you know, if they'll let you in, your, in their room, um, having those captured kind of moments that are unexpected when you're, you know, passing and the kitchen or, you know, at the beginning of the day, or, you know, I'm trying to recreate those like with texts and zooms and FaceTime and stuff, but it's different. Um, and I will, I think always miss it. Um, I loved, this is where I get emotional. I loved being the parent with the kids in the nest. Um, and I think it's because, you know, I spent so much of my childhood, um, and teenage years, 
and still now, you know, wishing I had a mom and a dad that was checked in. Um, and I didn't. So I just knew that I was going to create my own, you know, amazing family with all the foibles and all the, the, you know, prop balls that come with that. And, um, you know, I just, I had that in my vision, even as a kid, I think like I, I had a baby name book when I was, I think I got it at a garage sale when I was nine. So not that I was going to be a teenage pregnancy situation, um, but I just always knew I wanted kids. And I started to dream about it when I was little because I thought, what would it be like to have a mom and be a mom and be the mom that I didn't get? And there was so much richness and there still is um, richness from that. But I just, I miss the day-to-day, I miss the art projects. And I think I've been grieving this as they get older, right? The art projects, you know, the silly like pinch pots from whatever the ceramics class, um, the carpools, um, the lunches that I got sick of making, but would love to be able to make now. And and I find myself like cooking extra food and wanting to give it to the kids. Um, and just that stage is over and there's so much life left to live. And I have a lot of exciting things happening and all of us are so multidimensional. Um, and hopefully as parents, you know, we can take the opportunity when they do fly the nest to feel super proud of them, be there and support them. And of course, you're still parenting very actively from a distance, whatever distance it is. Um, but also to maybe we take time for ourselves and, and you know, look within and um, work on, you know, maybe we finally have time for some more self-care. Maybe we have time to explore something new. Maybe we um, retrench and and rediscover a passion for what we're doing for a living, or maybe we switch gears and and get a new career going. So there's a lot of opportunity, but it's been some bittersweet weeks and still is, you know, I miss I'm sitting here in the, um, in the den where they used to hang out with their friends and, you know, it's me and the cat. Um, and I love the cat, but it's, it's very different. And I miss the sounds and the voices and the, the hubbub of the kids. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a life change. So, um, that said, um, my life during quarantine has been made much easier by the fact that my kids are older and, you know, I became an empty nester during quarantine. And, you know, I really want to give a shout out um, and say that I pray and send all good energy to the parents with younger kids still at home, um, little tiny kids that they, you know, um, have to keep, you know, entertained and enriched and, you know, maybe they had some um, childcare help, but now they can't because of COVID, um, maybe because of finances or maybe because of keeping kids safe and they don't want someone else in the house. But I just think about how laborious and, and hard, you know, um, with already the stress of worrying about a pandemic and already the financial pressures, you know, with people losing um, jobs or getting um, furloughed or reduced pay. Um, and then kids you know, that are in elementary school, junior high or high school and parents helping them to navigate that and all the distance learning. Um, we did a semester of it for Jeannie. It was no, no cakewalk. Um, it's not a real great way to learn, um, for most kids and the teachers, like the parents and parents become teachers, teachers become jacks of all trades. I mean, I can't imagine being a teacher and having that pivot and working that much harder to um, pivot your um, academic plans and your learning plans like to the, you know, the distanced learning, virtual learning realm and 
the extra layer of stress and pressure and work that adds. I mean, it's, it's not good for anybody. Um, so I just, all good thoughts, good energy and prayers go out to all the parents, all the caregivers, all the teachers um, who have these extra layers and the kids who, who honestly, you know, we're trying to keep um, a sense of normalcy for them, keep them safe, not have them be overwhelmed with a new pandemic world um, and try to keep some of the stress off them. And it's just a real tall order. So lots of love going out to everyone um, when it comes to all of these issues. Um, You know, when I talked about, you know, hopefully, you know, parents that um, are either in the thick of it or have empty nests now, you know, you are still making time for self-care or now finding time for self-care. I know it's hard. I hope it doesn't sound too pie in the sky and too first world problems. Um, maybe it is. And, um, but I just, you know, whatever it takes to make sure that your tank is, is at least halfway full um, is important. So whether that's getting out into nature, talking to friends, um, exercising still, trying to eat as nutritiously as possible, getting sleep, drinking water, whatever it is. I hope you're doing it, meditating, praying, um, connecting, connecting, connecting. That's been my mantra through this time is um, keep connecting, always connect, don't disconnect. And it's easy because you're, you know, especially for me, since I'm being strict, I feel, you know, I'm more isolated than most people. Um, But I'm still finding ways to connect and I feel good about it. And um, it's certainly not, like it was, and I don't love that, but um, I'm staying connected to myself, to my family, to my dreams, to my friends, to my work, um, and it's hard, you know, and I'm not even dealing with small children. So I would say self-care, keep connecting, those are super important things too. Um, One thing I've noticed um, about, you know, life in this time is, um, there's a lot of division and um, I've done my fair share of sowing that division, which I'm not proud of, um, you know, through social media and choices I make to unfriend or unfollow or not engage. Um, and so disconnecting, which is not good um, because of my political and other beliefs, um, you know, whether, whether, it, whether it comes to COVID and what I think people should be doing in relation to, mask wearing and and keeping people safe and social distancing or whether it it is about um, the political climate right now and, you know, um, some divergent beliefs I may have from somebody else who, you know, has a different point of view. Um, I'm really trying to to back up and take a look at that um, more closely because, you know, when it comes to, let's say, COVID, for example, like I can only control what I, what I do um, and what I do with my family and how I take care of them and how I show up. So I'm doing what I need to do to feel safe. And some people may think it's um, extreme. Um, Some people might think it's not enough. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's a spectrum, Um, but it is hard when, um, you know, not to judge people um, for maybe not complying with things than the way that you feel is important. And um, I think even though I think this is a, a big group project and I don't, didn't, I don't necessarily think we're doing great at it, um, you know, far be it for me, it's not my place to judge other people and their behaviors because, you know, their comforts are different. So um, I have to respect that just as much as I do wish that 
you know, this time would be over, we'd all be healthy and we wouldn't have to worry about it. Um, I don't have all the answers, um, but it is something I'm working on is not to judge other people. Um, and that gets increasingly hard, I think, you know, beyond um, mask wearing as a politicized statement, which I don't agree with. I think it's just, you know, something we do as a protection um, in its best way or depending on your viewpoint as a courtesy um, at the other end of the spectrum. But either way, I'm, I'm a proponent. Um, but, you know, when we get into things that we, that have always been around, but that have become to more of a, um, a crucible since we last spoke. So racism in our country and, um, you know, that's a tough one. And I feel, you know, there's also a certain amount of, um, divisiveness there. And, and again, you know, everyone has different viewpoints. I don't, I don't believe that I know of anyone that I would consider an actively racist person. Um, and I'm happy and to say that I'm proud to say that. Um, so that makes me feel good. I don't think I could commune with someone that was actively racist. Um, I think it would compromise my value system, um, and my heart and my, my mind uh, and, and my soul place. So, um, I do think, though, that, like, you know, I've been trying to dig into racism as an issue and reading as much as I can um, and also trying to walk the walk. So, like, examining how I show up and where I have been, I think, um, I mean, actively racist sounds weird because I think if you're, you know, we're all actively racist to a certain extent. But I mean, um, I guess not taking action on, on the racist thoughts, but certainly I've had to check my thoughts and think about some automatic kind of beliefs and behaviors that I have, you know, had in the past. And I'm, I'm working on that. Um, I don't, I guess I should rephrase my earlier statement. I don't commune with anyone that, um, I would say, um, does, you know, active acts of aggression, um, in the name of racism. But I do think we all, you know, commit microaggressions that we may or may not be aware of. And I'm learning a lot about that, but I think, um, that's been something that during this this time has been really on my mind. And I've been trying to learn as much as I can and grow, but I have a, lo a long way to go. Um, and I think one thing that's been hard not to be divided on is um, the perception that, you know, certain political um, leanings um, and support of certain political figures, you know, can be problematic, at least when I think of it, um, because the political figures, you know, in question may be not anti-racist and not doing work that is actively anti-racist. Um, and so I think that's where I've fallen into a little bit of a rabbit hole with people that are maybe on the other side of the aisle, quote unquote, um, from my political beliefs is, you know, they're, um, support of political figures and actors, not in the sense of um, Hollywood, um, that um, I feel, you know, are at odds with my personal beliefs, at least from what I know, read, um, and learn. So I have not done a great job listening to people with, con you know, um, 
divergent beliefs. I have not done a good job respecting those people. Um, I have not done a good job staying in the conversation with those people. Um, and that's my bad. And I'm looking at that now. And I, I listened to a Brene Brown podcast last night and I'm rereading her books. Um, I suggest, you know, if you're open to it and, um, in all your spare time, right. When you're juggling everything in COVID, uh, maybe you could listen to it on audio tape, um, or not on, um, audible, um, is braving the wilderness. It's, I think her most recent and, um, it really talks about like tribalism and kind of grouping ourselves based on um, belief systems and what's comfortable and, you know, tuning people out and um, vilifying people and seeing them as other and separate. And that's something I've been super guilty of, especially in this divisive political climate. And um, it's a really good book, Braving the Wilderness. You'll learn a lot. And it's, it's kind of a hard read because you recognize a lot of your behaviors there. And so I'm trying to kind of walk back on that path. I'm walking back to the trailhead and I'm starting over right now. I do have strong beliefs about what our country should look like and feel like and equity is important and being anti-racist is important and women's rights are important and you know the immigrant experience is important and healthcare is important and pandemic response is important and kindness is important and humanity is important. So there's a, and education is important. There's so many things that I really value and I have to start being so absolutist and black and white about who does and doesn't support those things just based on their political party affiliation. Um, and I do wish we were more than a two party system in this country. I swear, like, and again, I don't know much about the political machine and the process, but it would be so great if there were other options. Um, and I know they're quote unquote are like Green Party, Libertarians, um, others, but I just feel like they're not viable options with the way we're set up. And um, I think the two party system makes everything more divisive and more black and white and more absolutist and less humane um, and, you know, not as good for our country. So I don't have the solution, but it, it's hard to see everything so stratified. Um, and bifurcated with the two-party system. Um, but I think, you know, I have been learning that in our country, you know, I feel there's a lot of fear um, and like a feeling of scarcity. And I get that because that's, I think I've been coming from that place where I am fearful of certain trends I see in our democracy, whether it's, you know, more authoritarian kind of moves, um, you know, uh, trying to mess with elections, um, whether it's um, not being kind, you know, or humane to immigrants, whether they're legal or not, um, whether it's um, misogyny, um, you know, whether it is, um, you know, I mean, even things like, you know, um, just the behaviors of any candidate, regardless of political party affiliation. You know, are these the people that should be, that are called to serve and should be serving us from, you know, with higher purpose, um, with everyone's best interest at heart, um, you know, and it's, it's hard. Like right now, I don't, I don't feel that's the case. And, you know, it's hard not to feel very vulnerable and very scared and like, where's our world headed? We've got a pandemic, we've got financial, you know, huge financial issues. We have huge human rights issues. We have 
um, violence, we have racism, we have sexism, we have um, the Me Too movement, um, and sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and rape culture. And there's so much going on that it feels like at some days I just want to bury my head in the sand and say, I give up. I'm not going to do anything. I'm powerless. And then other days I'm like, you know, that's not the solution. And I think it's at times like these, and I think a lot of us are probably feeling like throwing up our hands, um, that we are like super vulnerable and we're in a place of fear and we're in a place of scarcity. Like, gosh, like I just got to you know, grab what I can money wise. I've got to batten down the hatches. Um, you know, I've got to, um, and who knows people are probably building like bomb shelters or pandemic shelters for all I know, but it's not a healthy place to be in as a country and as a psych, a group psyche. Right. So it's in those times when circling back finally to the Brene Brown podcast I listened to last night, talking about um, how when we're in these really heightened, anxious states as a, a country, and as a people, as a collective, that's when we're so much more susceptive, uh, susceptive to conspiracy theories, any kind of propaganda from anyone. I'm not going to point fingers. Um, you know, so it's like, and we are taught like the, the comforting solution when we're in fear and feeling vulnerable and in scarcity, like there's not enough for everybody. I got to take mine. You know, you're not looking out for your brother or sister, the greater good. You're looking out just for you. You're number one. Um, and the hard thing is that that makes us so susceptible to any kind of propaganda, any kind of blame game, um, and these conspiracy theories that have been circulating. And so you know, she brought up a really good point. If you look at any kind of news today um i'm going to single out tv cable news cnn and fox and whoever else um the story kind of arc for each of the stories that they run is like there's a problem they create like a fear it's just like advertising works right so um but in this case it's the news cycle so there's a story they create fear with a news story and there's a lot of stuff to be worried about granted but they create a sense of fear and then the solution to kind of get you through the fear is who can we blame? So it's a pointing fingers and, um, you know, there's always someone to blame, right? You can always find someone to blame. So, and in that kind of cycle of like fear, blaming, you know, you're looking for any answer there is. And if you have someone to blame, then it takes the onus off you to really have to still worry about it almost. Like you might be worried about it because you're like, well, shit, this is a big problem. Um, but because you blame someone, you kind of lay it on them and then maybe you can move on throughout your day. Right. So we can blame something on the president. We can blame something on, you know, the democratic nominee or presumptive nominee. We can blame something on our neighbor. We can blame something on Dr. Fauci. We can blame something on, you know, CDC. We can blame something on our local doctor. We can blame it. So we're just trying to pass the buck and not sit in the fear, the pain, and the worry. And again, I get it. It's excruciating. Am I good at it? No. What I do is when I get into that place where I'm really thinking about it and sitting in it and trying to sit with it and pull it apart and talk myself through it, I'm also freaking emotionally eating. So with me and the sitting in the pain and, you know, trying to get myself out of it is a bag of tortilla chips or gummy bears or insert other food here. Um, and, or I'll distract myself. So it's like, you know, I'll go back into workaholism. I will, 
you know, on my healthier days, get out and take a walk, which I think is a good way to deal with it. But I think learning how to sit with the discomfort is something we're not good as, as people. I think as a human, it's hard. And I think as a nation, um, I think a lot of other countries, um, have more experience sitting in and processing and owning and being with collective trauma, whether it's like Germany after, uh, World War II and, you know, uh, the Holocaust, um, whether it's, I'm sure, in a lot of African nations, all of the war, um, the rape and pillage of their land by other people, mostly white people, slavery. I mean, I think that they have learned to sit with and deal with pain in different ways. And they still have, you know, tribal structures, which I think create the community and the sense of community and collective um, effort and collective mourning and collective joy, collective celebration. So I think in our country, we're founded on this rugged individualism, which I think is great from an entrepreneurial standpoint. And I love unique people and outliers of which I'm proudly, I believe one um, of everybody. But I think that we're not trained to like think in the collective, to sit in something and process in the collective, to celebrate as a collective, to mourn as a collective, to work together for the greater good. Like with mask wearing, you know, it's like scientists say that if, you know, 95% of people wore masks like they're supposed to, we would be done with this thing right now, this pandemic. But we're not good at group projects. We don't do things collectively because as a nation, we weren't founded on collectivism. We weren't founded on um, working together as a team. And, you know, that's had some great things for us. I mean, look at it, look at the rise of our entrepreneurs, look at the American dream that, you know, is problematic. We could talk about that in another episode because it's not really available to everybody, which, you know, if we're going to have an American dream, we should be thinking in the collective and making it within reach of everybody, regardless of race, creed, gender orientation, sexual orientation, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that, you know, we have to be really careful. And I think when I say stay connected, that's the thing. It's like, let's always connect and let's stay connected to people. And I think my work right now is staying connected to people that disagree with me, staying connected to people that um, I'm having a hard time with understanding. Like I need to lean into that and ask them questions and not in an argumentative way like, how can you believe this? Or how can you think about voting for X person? Or how do you um, rectify and rationalize you not being racist with supporting this political figure or this movement? Um, so to me, it's like, I got to stay connected. I got to lean into the people that I'm dis I've purposely disconnected myself from and learn more. I need to ask more. Tell me more. How do you get there? You know, what, what's the feeling? Like, how does that make you feel um, in, an, in a curious and genuinely inquisitive, um, sincere way? And that's my work because, you know, and I probably need to like refriend or whatever the verb is um, and unblock um, certain people that I did just because of their views. Now, again, I... I'm also allowed to create boundaries. So if I feel someone is not wanting to be part of a lean in conversation, um, not, um, I think a kind person, or I feel like is, um, you know, 
hurtful to someone or if they're actively, if they're, you know, if they're um, doing things to hurt people, uh, even not physically. Um, I mean, I'm allowed to have boundaries. So, but I think I do owe it to people that I know in my heart of hearts to be good people um, to listen to them if they have a divergent view. But then I can make a decision after that, right? And I don't have to do it in a mean way. I can just choose to live and let live and just not connect with that person, um, you know, on a regular basis. Um, they can still be in my sphere. And I want to be the kind of person too, when if that person needs help or suddenly you see a GoFundMe for that person, God forbid, in their family because something's gone on, I'm going to be a helper. I'm not going to to do like a separating of the wheat from the chaff and not help someone because they're from a different, you know, political affiliation. Um, but I have a lot of work to do. And so that's something that I'm focused on doing and I hope you will be too. And um, I'm just trying to stay in a more positive mode and a hopeful mode. Um, but no matter what happens and how long it takes us to get through this pandemic um, and how it looks and no matter you know, who we elect at various levels of government to represent us and our interests. Um, but as a country, I'm just hoping that we can kind of, you know, that we can reconnect as a country and be in community more. Like I just, I, I think I, I feel like we need bigger and better communities and communities that are more diverse and not just like where we live, that real estate lingo. Like I live in the community of wherever, more like like community, my community can be all over the country, it can be around the world, but I want to be connected to people that are diverse, have, again, divergent, possibly, interests, um, you know, affiliations politically, um, you know, again, I'm going to hold myself to certain moral, you know, humane standards for all connectivity. But, you know, I, I just, I need to broaden my horizon, I need to be more connected, and I need, I need and want us to be a, a more of a community. I think watching, you know, Italy who suffered so drastically and horribly at the beginning of this pandemic come together more as a collective and a community as a country and really tamp out um, the pandemic. And again, it's a smaller country. They're more established. I mean, they've been around forever. And I just, but I, I do think it's really take away, strip away all the other kind of, factors. I think it comes down to a sense of community and what's, you know, the common good. Um, and I just think as a country, we haven't been tested like that. You know, we haven't had a war on our soil. I mean, certainly right now you could characterize obviously domestic terrorism um, and of course international terrorism here as, as a war, but it's not the same as going through World War II and having to band together and you know, have a fight on your home soil. And I think that that's really um, built kind of a, a great backbone and, and community feeling in addition to thousands of years of histories in some of these countries. Um, we're newer, but I think we have a lot of work to do. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is the growth mindset. Um, and it sounds very new age and maybe it is, but what I'm talking about is looking within my, like I said, I've looked at myself and where I need to improve and I'm working on this. And I think the you know, one thing I, I don't want us to forget is that we should be lifelong learners and we can unlearn things too. So if you've been doing something that, you know, it's uncomfortable to sit with, like I'm saying for me to shun people because they're registered with a different political party, that's not acceptable. I'm not proud of it. 
<clears throat> and I need to go back to the head of the trail and rewalk it differently and better. And I am. Um, and I think that, you know, I can unlearn things and I can learn new things. And I think that we always, you know, need to be open to that. And to me, it's not just this example, it's anything. So right now I'm taking the time. And again, I realize I'm, I'm privileged to have the time because the kids aren't in the house and I have a job, but I'm not, you know, and luckily even with the pandemic, things are fine financially. Um, and I live in a secure neighborhood. I mean, all these other things, right? So I, I'm coming from a place of privilege, but I am taking time to learn. And I think anyone can do it in their own way. So for me, I'm taking like an online course um, just to learn something more about my business. And I'm reading as much as I can um, about all sorts of different kinds of things, philosophy, um, cultural ideas, fiction. I mean, you know, just to, I really want to expand during this time as much as I've, I've contracted in a way because I'm not out and about as much. So my life feels a little bit more contained physically. Um, I want to expand in other ways, my soul, my heart, my brain with as much learning as I can, as I can stomach. So I'm trying to read as much as I can, learn as much as I can, um, process, you know, my foibles and, and my strengths and my shortcomings. Um, and I'm working with a coach on that. And I'm also wanting to dream bigger. And it seems maybe antithetical to like living in a time where we talked about earlier in the podcast where there's fear and there's, there's a feeling of scarcity versus abundance. And um, there are a lot of unknowns. You're feeling super vulnerable. Um, I would challenge you to dream into that space too. So um, having a vision for your life. And I'm not talking, it could be a vision board. I suck at those. I always, I'm really good at tearing the magazine apart, but not good at pasting it up and ever looking at it again. But maybe there's still value in, in, in my half-assed approach. But I, I think we can all dream bigger for ourselves. And I think when we start to dream bigger and learn and unlearn and all those big, amazing things for ourselves, there's a ripple effect. And um, I think that goes out into society. So if we could have like, if you picture like a bunch of people walking around, um, with like thought bubbles above their heads, like think about maybe um, all those thought bubbles having a different like dream in there. And like, you think about if you could do a map of like everyone walking around, let's just say the U S with a big a thought bubble above their head that has a really special dream inside of it for them um, that may seem unattainable, but you know, they're still holding it because it gives them hope, which I think is really important right now and direction and purpose which we all need all the time, but especially now think about like that collective and all those clouds, right. Of dreams. What if, you know, I think that creates a collective dream and a collective sense of hope and a collective sense of purpose and direction and inspiration. And I think we owe it to ourselves and to our collective community and our country and the world to be more in that space. I think dreaming will keep us positive and hopeful. And so I'm working a lot on that. And it's sometimes it's, you know, for me, I think sometimes I can be skeptical and like, that's not attainable. That's not for you. Um, that's for someone else. Um, who do you think you are to chase that? You know, Carrie, you're not that talented at that. Or, you know, good, good luck, Carrie. Remember that dream you had last year that didn't happen? You know, there's so much negative self-talk, but 
I think I, I'm, I'm trying to fight through that. And I would encourage you too. And so some of my friends are really good dreamers. They're like natural born dreamers and they don't second guess themselves. And I love that. You know, I want to get there. So my latest, um, one of my latest dreams is, um, you know, really taking my writing to the next level. And um, that's a place where I'm so good at speaking um, negatively to myself. I just uh, joined a writer's workshop. Uh, it's a small group led by a really talented um, journalist and writer and author. And, um, you know, it scares the shit out of me. And that's what it's supposed to do. Um, and I am as hard as it is to sit in the space to write. And it sounds like, well, why would writing be hard? And I just happen to be writing about my early part of my life and some hard stuff. And so not only am I sitting in pain, which I talked about earlier, and that's difficult without wanting to just like eat my arm off and eat everything in the refrigerator. Um, you know, sitting in that, writing about it, processing it through the writing. And then, you know, I had to submit, you know, a group of pages to the group. They critique um, your pages. You know, we did a Zoom call. And um, it felt so raw and vulnerable to like write about my, you know, the beginning parts of my life that are hard to talk about have it out there with strangers and it wasn't only just my life that I felt was weird to have out there it was like um writing about it and like is this good writing is it shitty writing is it in the middle I mean I don't know but just like letting other people see it read it critique it um that's super challenging for me and I have a bad track record of giving up on stuff that's hard um if it's easy I'm all in um if it's hard in ways that I'm used to like navigating, like I'm used to navigating emotionally hard things, um, trauma, um, and big bumps in the road of life. So like, for some reason, I'm confident there. I, I feel like I've done enough, but I know, you know, knock on wood, I don't really want anymore right now, but you know, I can handle it. What I'm not good is at honing new skills where I feel like I have to put an effort. It'll be challenging. I'm not going to be good at the beginning. It's going to take a while um, and it doesn't come easily. And so with writing, I mean, it flows easily for me, but at the same time, like, is it good writing? And I found at my workshop that there's promise, right? But it's not good. And it's not there. Like it's not even, I don't think really close, you know? Um, and that was really hard. And I almost wanted to bail on the workshop, but I'm staying in because my dream is to write my story wherever it goes. It doesn't have to be sold anywhere. You know, it can be just for me. It can be for my kids. I, I mean, I don't know what it looks like, but to write my story, to be the best writer I can be of my story. And the way I get there is through practice, through falling down, through not being perfect, to be open to critique, to be open to reworking it, to be open to exploring it, um, to really dig into it and dive into it and be honest and not try to just do broad brush strokes and say, Oh, I wrote it. And it's kind of humorous because I don't want to take up space with my story. You know, here's the shortest version. Yeah, I'm working on all that. It's a big dream. And, you know, as I was about to give it up, you know, I see a post from Glennon Doyle, who, um, if you haven't read her books, rush, uh, run, don't walk virtually to go get them. Um, but, you know, she just posted today about, you know, 10 years ago, how she, had, you know, she'd been writing, some publishers had taken interest, and 10 years ago, I think it was eight or 10 years ago, this week, she and her sister were in New York for the first meetings with the publishers to see if it, you know, if there was anything there. And, you know, now eight, fast forward eight, 10 years later, 
the, you know, one of the big screens, uh, Jumbotron screens in Times Square in New York, where they had been to publishing houses, has her newest book up on the screen, uh, like a billboard. So it's like, that's very audacious, big dream she had, and she did it. And she didn't think it, you know, it started with the dreaming. Like, she didn't think it was going to maybe work. I'm sure she had tons of doubts. I don't know her. I would love to. But I think, you know, let's keep dreaming in this hard time, in this hard space, you know. And I think that kind of will be like the rising tide that raises all ships if we can stay positive, inspired, connected, dreaming, hopeful, um, and not get torn. You know, I think no matter where you are with this, you know, upcoming presidential election, it's like if we really think about it, of course, like, it would be best for our country to have whoever the best leader is going to be to do whatever the best things are to make our country the best it can be on every single parameter, right? I'm not going to say who that is or what that looks like. But I think we also have to remember that there's a bigger game afoot here. And it's like, you know, I think one of the slogans right now is the battle for the soul of the nation. I mean, to me, I think we all have a role to play in that and it's beyond politics. Like I think the battle for the soul of our nation starts with our own souls, healing those, growing those, learning and unlearning what we need to dreaming big, getting our soul in a place where it is so expansive and in a place of, you know, despite everything else, abundance, hope, um, and collective hope and joy and mourning and whatever that looks like that we become like the whole will be even greater than some of its parts. Like let's just all do our own job of being the best people we can be regardless of, of who's in the white house or who's in the city council meeting. And again, those are important things, but let's just be our own best selves and be and show up for other people as our own best self, no matter what they look like, sound like how, you know, who they like to have sex with, who they show up as how they dress, what color they are, what their religious beliefs are, what their political beliefs are. Let's, let's just show up as like really human and loving and our biggest soulful selves. And I think that regardless of whoever's sitting in these positions of power, we'll all be better off no matter what that looks like. So, wow, I had a lot to say. Um, and I think I got through all of it. And um, I am going to be working on changing the name of this podcast, um, hopefully within the next couple of weeks. It's, a, it's another goal of mine. So stay tuned for that news. And um, we'll make sure that you know where to find us and all the, the usual places. But I'm just super excited to have this platform. Thank you again for um, allowing me to and holding space for me and these thoughts and allowing me to have part of your day. Um, and I encourage you to reach out to me. Um, I think everyone that listens to this podcast knows me. And if you don't, um, you can find me easily. Um, and in fact, you know, feel free to email me at Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E at kitchentablepr.com. Um, it's my work email, but I'm always on it. It's used for everything. And I'd love to hear from you. So thanks to everyone. Lots of love um, and big hope um, for everybody. And I'll talk to you next time. Take care.